I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. My name is Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here today to talk with my friends about an article I wrote called Apples and Oranges, and I will welcome these three fine gentlemen to the conversation today. We have Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Mr. Nathan Straw. Hey, everyone. And Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. Nate got lots of compliments on his deep voice and uh, that uh, he's got a face for radio. So uh, now he's really <laughs> trying to embellish it for the podcast. Uh, anyway, apples and oranges. I started the article about this idea in sports. You always hear the conversation about who is the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Joe Montana? Is it Tom Brady? Each sport has their own um, potential GOAT arguments. And it is an argument, whether it is on sports radio or at the playground, that will never be solved. Um, Comparing players across different generations and different eras as the game changes is just extremely hard. I will apologize to Drew Dill because I did not mention a baseball player in there, but I will ask you who is the greatest of all time when it comes to baseball. And you'll say Ted Williams. You say what? Tony Gwynn. Okay. He's a big Padres fan. Big Padres fan. Um, nonetheless, so when it comes to Objective. investing, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, when it comes to investing, uh, there's another GOAT conversation. What's the best? Is it stocks or is it real estate? Um, I remember, uh, you know, earlier in my career, even opening the OC register, and they did this this article of stocks versus real estate, looking at historical returns. And in that article, they made a conclusion that stocks were better. Um, I don't agree with them. I don't think you can make that conclusion. I don't think you can compare the two. They are so different. So what I what I wanted to do in this article and what we'll talk about today is these six different areas on how stocks and real estate are different, uh, that they're different puzzle pieces. So your job, uh, you and your advisor, is to figure out what hole do you have in your portfolio and make sure you pick the right puzzle piece to, to fit it in there. So we'll get into these six categories, but the three of you have read it, so we'll just kind of open up the forum, and uh, I would love to hear your guys' insights. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so being in Southern California, the, there are definitely people that have uh, earned and created a lot of wealth uh, using real estate, You know, whether it's commercial development or uh, through individual homes and rental properties. And so I think it's an ongoing conversation where people might be a little biased and think, well, it worked really well for me. I don't really know anything about the stock market. This is better. And I think that's more of a personal opinion, but when you are trying to compare the two, and as you mentioned in the article, they are completely different. They have different return profiles. They have different ways. That the return itself is similar, where you calculate the income and the appreciation that gives you a total return. But there, you mentioned layers of costs, liquidity. There's a lot of different things. So I, I could talk about this all day. Yeah, Nate, and that's uh, one of my objections when, when people are making that claim is that, like they're charting two things. And I'm like, well, your chart is not accounting for some of the tax benefits. Your chart isn't accounting for how you could use leverage. And, and obviously, I'm speaking to some real estate things, but mm-hmm. it's because I talk to a lot of stock jockeys, right? Some people that yeah. are excited about stocks. And I am too. That's, that's you know, most of my portfolio is that's what we talk about every day. But I think that the argument can be a little bit misleading. Yeah, I, I really like the way you, you wrote the article in terms of just keeping it super balanced and, and you know, pointing out the fact that if anyone comes along and says this is for certain way better than the other, uh, you know, take a step back and evaluate it. Um, and you really pointed out some good things in terms of, you know, you know, there's some aspects of money going out of your pocket pocket with real estate, uh, but also there's some cons with with stocks too. Um, and obviously, there's you know some other aspects like 
not you don't want golden handcuffs if you if you buy a house that's too expensive for you. Um, so I really like that you kind of kept it pretty even keeled. I like that you pointed that out to Dea when he's on this podcast sometimes often uses this idea that if he's talking to anybody that speaks about future events with a high level of certainty, uh, he just stops listening. Uh, because in his mind, it all has to work with probabilities, um, and everything is a statistical decision. Um, and if anybody is that confident, uh, you know, as some of us are familiar with, pride comes before the fall. Yeah, I, I, I think the one of the biggest things, you know, kind of picking back off a little bit of what Sean was talking about, was when you're looking at people with their stories, like Sean was talking about, you know, done so well in real estate. You always have to ask the question, like where, like what what state, what area, what land. And there's just more nuance in, in when it comes to that conversation. But it, same thing with capital markets, right? Where did you do – you have some people on the flip side, right, who owned a certain stock um, and, you know, it went up 300 or 3,000%. And so the, it, there's so much shade. There's so much nuance um, that really needs to be dealt out here because with both, when it's whether it's capital markets or whether it's tangible assets in real estate, um, there's nuance here. And you have to take a step back and look at – several different factors, which um, you did a great job listening. I'm happy to go through them with you guys. Yeah. I mean, writing the article, I always think when I'm starting like a thousand words, trying to stick it a thousand words. So like you just mentioned at the very beginning, I said, we're not going to get granular because this can be a book. Uh, There's so much that we can talk about. And like you said, within the world of stocks, uh, there's a wide array. Within the world of real estate, there's a wide array. Uh, If you're a real estate investor last year during COVID, if you owned office space, or hotels, it looked a lot different than if you owned uh, industrial complexes that were leased back to online retailers. Or storage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the granular does matter. Um, but on a base level, let's go through these things because I, I think they matter. And I think maybe there's more than six comparatives that would be worthwhile. But uh, we'll start with liquidity. I said in the article, I know that's a finance word, but I don't know another word to use. So it's just this idea that I can take my investment quickly and easily convert it to cash. Um, I think liquidity is underappreciated. I think when my friends come to me and they say, hey, you know, my parents and the generation before that made a lot of wealth on real estate. Um, I get it. But understand the liquidity profile of a stock when you have these common exchanges where you can literally hit a button and convert it to cash is a lot different than the process when you sell a home. Right, I, I know Nate is home shopping right now, so he knows the the other side of that that equation. But you find an agent, you put the sign on your front yard, um, you get offers, then you go into escrow. It, it's it's not a one button solution, and maybe some of those frictions will be removed because of technology in the future. But as we sit today in 2021, uh, it. It absolutely is not the same. So that needs to be accounted for um, because you are going to bury some of your equity. You're going to set your money aside where it's not, quote unquote, usable. Uh, and that matters. Yeah, I think that the purpose or the use of the wealth that you're creating matters. So do you have a longer right time horizon? Is it immediate? Can you just take out a HELOC right right away? And if you want to go on vacation or, you know, would you use it in that way? Um, or, you know, with stocks, like you mentioned, you have the liquidity that's a lot more flexible, quicker. Um, so I think thinking through that, um, cause I think is really important because right, if people are putting all their eggs in one basket in real estate, for example, in the primary residence, um, the liquidity feature is going to be a lot different than let's say stock. Yeah. And I should have highlighted that in the article, but 
your your personal residence matters a lot, but I was also highlighting uh, real estate as an investment. Where Drew, you can speak to this because you you worked in the banking world. I don't even know if you could do a home equity line of credit on on a rental property. Uh, if you can, probably hard to get approved, and the interest rates are probably not very attractive. Or it's exactly right. Yeah, so it's typically not advantageous um, from an interest rate perspective. It can be right, but but and it's a lot more difficult for sure because. Anytime a bank's underwriting a second property, not a second property, but any investment or rental property, they're thinking if you have a 2008 moment, well, what's the first property, right? You're going to stop paying. It's mm-hmm. not the one you live in, right? That's why you have the best rates on your primary residence because that's the last uh, ship you abandon, right? If, if stuff hits the fan. So the rates are a little bit higher for investment properties on both the first or second, second meaning any sort of leveraging that you're doing off the equity. Um, because the risk is higher because you have a higher chance of abandoning ship. Why should liquidity matter to a client? Well, because life is brutal and things can come at you from an emergency standpoint or things can come at you from a desire or want that you just feel like there's some sort of thing out there that you need to purchase right away that you did not foresee a week ago. And a difference between a stock is that there's always a buyer, right? On a publicly traded market, um, there's not always a buyer for your rental property. Um, There just isn't. Always at the right price, but maybe not at the price you want to sell it at. And then you have a lot more hoops to go through when it comes to paperwork and and process. And so life events, life is a brutal thing or not just being brutal, but also, like I said, desired um, uh, purchases that – come out of the woodwork, those are real. And then everybody knows that and everybody can think of a person that that's happened to. Um, and so you, you got to be really, really, really careful with your liquidity profile. feels like too, when you need liquidity the most, it's not the time that you want to do paperwork, that you want to go through a process, that you have to make non-emotional decisions. A lot of times it feels like your life's getting wrecked. <laughs> um, and simplicity when it comes to liquidity, probably a good thing. Yeah, it's true, because typically if you do need access to the funds, it's probably stressful, and that's not a good time to be patient and have to go through a process. And uh, I can tell you banks, uh, they, they aren't going to make anything go faster because you're having a bad day, so it it will take longer. And that's kind of a good segue, because when we talk about liquidity, my first thought is leverage, because my first thought is, you know, how much equity do you have in the home? Are you even going to be able to take money out? Uh, are you renting it out? Or do you have tenants? What happened in 2020? they pay rent like my, my mind kind of goes yeah it's great that you're able to use that leverage because you're putting 20 percent down to buy an asset you can't do that with stocks you can't say hey i want to buy this much in the of these shares but i'm only going to give you 20 percent of the money now maybe they let you use margin and do 50 percent, which is kind of gambling on its own but with the house they'll let you buy a lot of house and you're committing to an expense for maybe 30 years and like nate said what would you call them golden handcuffs yeah, yeah. I, I mean you better hope there's not any disruption in cash flow because if there is and then you try to pull the equity you do have out, and the bank says no because you could walk away from this, that, that's my first thought, is that that leverage can be scary. Yeah, and thinking of leverage, too, from both a, a, a capital, like a stocks profile on a margin account or a home equity line of credit or a investment line of credit, whatever it is on the property, is just like on you know any sort of record keeper can um, – can kind of change the rules to where you can't draw on a margin account anymore because certain stocks margin profile goes up or down. Same thing with, with your home, right? The banks can gate your HELOC at any given time or just freeze it. They did that in 2008 as well. So there's, there's liquidity risk on both, on both sides when it comes to the equity in it. 
That's it, interesting. So like you have rental property in Nevada and financial crisis happens, property values plummet, a lot of people are upside down and then this liquidity that you thought you had, they go, no, 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 never mind. Yeah, because the banks are now not wanting or not comfortable, right? Because it's based upon your, your loan to value. Well, now all of a sudden the value of your homes dropped significantly. There's a liquidity crisis in the general in the market and banks are fearful, right? At those times of, of doing HELOCs. As far as March 23rd of last year, you had four major banks, right? That I won't name because I'm sure I'll break some sort of rule. Um, <laughs> but you had four major banks stop doing HELOCs altogether for over a year. They wouldn't do any new HELOCs. And those are usually good rev- revenue generating things, but because of that fear when COVID was going on. So yeah, there's, there's risk there. I remember when you worked at the bank, I reached out to one of your coworkers to, to talk to them about uh, doing something for me. And they're like, oh, we're, we're actually not doing those right now. Then I called another bank. We're actually doing those only for our clients. So that belt got tightened really quickly, Yep. which is a good segue for us because that next section was on leverage. Uh, and I think when the register writes an article about comparing stocks and bonds, or stocks and bonds, ha, stocks <laughs> and real estate, uh, what they, they don't factor in is leverage. Um, and leverage, the way it works, it amplifies the good and it amplifies the bad. A lot of the time we want to have conversations about 2008 and how leverage can kill you and debt is evil and all that. But let's be real is when you go into an investment property and you do all your checks and balances and you figure out kind of what's prudent, uh, leverage can be uh, positive to your outcome, right? You go and you buy a million dollar property and you put $200,000 down and it goes up 10%. That's $100,000. So uh, based on your $200,000 deposit minus your expenses and things like that, uh, that's a 50% return. So you can understand how leverage starts to amplify or change your return profile. Um, And like I said in the article, uh, this is just factual. Uh, Banks are very accommodative to real estate buyers. Just like later we'll talk about uh, the U.S. tax system is very accommodative to real estate owners. Uh, that is not something we should debate about or whatever. That's just a truth. So that will be an understanding of the difference of the dynamic of the two. It's interesting. I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking of something I read the other day that talked about uh, someone applying for a credit card, you know, when you're younger and you, you apply for like a $10,000 line of credit or credit card and they're like, absolutely not. But then you apply for like $200,000 in loans for school. And they're like, oh, sure, here you go. <laughs> and it kind of made me laugh thinking the same thing with the house that obviously there's a little bit more that goes into the process, but uh, it, uh, it can be scary. One, one is subsidized or can be subsidized from the federal government. The other one can't. Yeah. Which probably helps the argument. Yeah, no, I, I think 100%. Politics aside, right? Just, just facts. <laughs> but leverage changes the math. So if somebody's looking at trying to compare the two, uh, they're different. Uh, sometimes people can get to the extent of having multiple um, properties where they can't easily take on another mortgage, which might be a sign to them to say, hey, maybe maybe you diversify outside of just kind of what you think is in your wheelhouse and begin to buy things like stocks that can behave differently. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, when people look at their, their residence or investment properties as uh, like a bank account where they can pull different levers, um, there's a thoughtful way of doing that, but also can you know, lead to danger, danger like we saw with the subprime uh, lending crisis in 2008 and, and so forth. So I think uh, being thoughtful and careful with leverage is, is the key there. Because I think sometimes when people think of leverage, they think of debt. And a lot of people think, you know, all debt is evil. But um, debt can be used in a very smart way and a, and a profitable way. And I'll steal a line that I wrote 
that that <laughs> in and of itself is not evil, but like anything, it can be perverted. Um, and I think people don't often understand that. They just want to kind of be binary in their thinking. Anyway, we won't uh, spend too much time on each one of these because there's a lot of them. But uh, liquidity, leverage, we, we see the differences there. Responsibility. So that's a big one for me. People ask me a lot of the time, um, hey, do you own rental property? I don't. It is not a claim on my opinion about real estate valuations. It's not a, a claim on real estate as an investment. Uh, it's that I am scared to death of being a landlord. Uh, I have, uh, like some of us in, on this conversation right now, <laughs> I have kids in diapers at home, and uh, there are a lot of responsibility. I wrote an article like, it is tough. Me and my wife fight like hard as we can to just like preserve our exercise time every week. I can't imagine uh, taking a call about a broken air conditioner or, or something of that nature. So the responsibility of owning a stock is a whole lot different than owning a rental property. Yeah, and we talked about how my, like in the minutia we could get in this, but just to throw like a, an example, if, you're, if your job is a handyman, right? And that's like what you do by trade and you're flexible because you're self-employed, maybe a rental property and that responsibility is a, is not that bad of an idea because you you can absorb a lot of the costs that you, other people like myself who can't fix you know um, anything uh, or break anything I touch it, you know I'm going to have to pay a lot more right than somebody who's a handyman and who's self employed who has the time and flexibility to kind of be on that rental property and to fix it and to absorb any of the costs they would have paid a third party little things like that kind of matter in this equation. Um, if you have a job to where it's full time and you're, you know, a, a high executive and you're working 70 hours a week, you don't have the time, right, to deal with the the toilet on your, you know, uh, other property unless you hire other people. You don't do have time to you. deal with that toilet. Toilet. <laughs> it's the only example that came to my head. Just a toilet. Um, <laughs> no, I, I was like just bleeping the, out something yeah. else. I could say. <laughs> yeah. The stuff that goes in the toilet. Right. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so those 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 situations with job. Uh, flexibility, um, they could make real estate a lot more attractive to somebody is all I'm trying to say, rather than somebody else. Yeah. So most of my close friends are in construction and that is their expertise. And one of them flips houses and, and does real estate. And he comes to me sometimes like, Hey, maybe I should move some money to you. What type of return should I expect? I said, keep doing what you're doing. Because reality, I, I know your skill set. I know what you can do. I know your track record. Um, yes, I do think in the future that you should diversify and things like that. But I would, I would press into that expertise. Uh, and um, I think a lot of advisors would give different advice than that. And I think it'd be the wrong advice. I, I think what he's doing right now, it's smart. It's entrepreneurial. Um, and he is gleaning great benefits from it. I think your point, too, um, when it comes to the responsibility is really in a, more of an appeal to like the emotional toll that it can have on you. I think when uh, I've had good conversations with uh, uh, people that have been in the real estate business for a long time or have multiple properties, um, you know, that's one of the first things they'll talk about is the headaches and, you know, the maintenance, utilities, insurance, taxes that are all involved and embedded in, in the cost of owning a property. But with that, comes um, carrying that on your shoulders, right? And, and carrying that extra responsibility. And sometimes, um, you know, if you draw that for a long amount of time, it just is, has added stress. And Or, you know, if, if you're, you know, that's your wheelhouse and, and it's a breeze to you, then, then it can be a strength as well. I, I think one thing, and I, would, I would want your opinion, Trevor, because I'm going to give uh, a feedback and see if you think it's good. But one thing that could have been added is political risk to both stocks, right, and, and investment portfolios, but then also in real estate. 
you look at March um, and you have a moratorium on evictions. Uh, so if you're in an area and you have you know, 100 apartments, right, and your rent rolls are in a lower income area and the state and the federal government saying you can't collect, that's a that's, there's real political risk there, right? Not, this is not a red or blue thing. This is just the facts. But the same political risk you have with a, with a portfolio, with stocks, right? If capital gains tax gets passed by a certain administration, um, there's, there's, there's new risk there when it comes to the politics of each one of these portfolios and, and the taxation, but not just taxation, but eviction moratoriums and things like that that also pose unique risk, especially in this time. Yeah, I think when you look at a portfolio as a whole, if you're looking for diversification and you have this kind of mosaic of, of different investments, you have to look at if oil prices change, what does it impact across this? If interest rates change, what does it impact? If tax code changes, what does it impact? So the nice thing that you're describing is that with this political risk, as you're calling it, uh, sometimes that can have a different impact on stocks versus real estate and, and balancing a portfolio and having exposure to both can de-risk or kind of spread that risk out, uh, knowing that that's a, that's a potential possibility. And I think the COVID moment teaches us a lot because uh, everything that we might have said in the past could never happen now has happened <laughs> in the recent past. So it should open up um, kind of our perspective to the what ifs that uh, could potentially happen. Yeah. Is political risk, is that a bad term when... Uh no, it's trying a, it's, to describe it. I was thinking that's probably no, you're saying it the right way too. Yeah. Like there could be additional uh, regulation in certain sectors in the market that would affect stocks. So yeah, absolutely. exactly. It makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I think actually it's the right term. I back in the day where I had to take tests to get certifications and things like that. I, I think it's, I think it's called political risk. So um, there you go. We'll, we'll go with it. I passed the test. Yeah. Correction. That is seven items that we're going to talk about <laughs> today. So uh, liquidity, leverage, uh, responsibility. I'll highlight one more thing on responsibility. I love stocks. Because, uh, you know, somebody else does the business and we share in the profits. That, that is uh, being passive in, in the business is, is probably my preference. That was my thought, too. I, I, being a landlord during tough times for people where you know these people, you know their families, you've met their kids, and, uh, and you have to look at it as a business decision or a humane decision like that, that would be hard for me. And some would say, oh, we just hire a management company. You don't have to think about it. And that's maybe a good segue into cost, which is the next category. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good segue. Cost, uh, we are living in a world, we're on, we're on, the, we're on the back end of it. Um, custodians, I use that word sometimes. It's just where we hold our investments. So you have these low-cost brokerage firms out there. We won't use any of their names, um, but that's where you hold your investments. You go to blank.com and look at how your portfolio is doing. They have been in warfare the last uh 20 years <laughs> yeah. uh, since kind of the inception of uh, the, 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 the forerunners on that. Um, and, you know, the last couple of years, you saw trades for $5, you saw trades for $3, you saw trades for no dollars. So when it comes to cost, uh, in regards to just a real vanilla transaction of going out and buying a stock, doesn't cost you anything. That is very different than real estate. So we've highlighted some of the benefits of real estate on how you can use leverage um, as long as you use it prudently. We will talk about some of the tax benefits. Cost is not going to be an area where it uh, it wins <laughs> um, because stocks cost nothing to purchase. Now, again, we're not going granular. We're not going to get nuanced. You could look at bid-ask spreads and the fact that you know some places are selling order flow and you might not get the best pricing, but that is 
unless you're trading billions of dollars, that's minutia. Um, but reality is if you've bought a home, you have that disclosure page that itemizes your expenses. Um, and it's sometimes two pages, right? Everything from title to escrow to insurance to all the pieces that go into it, uh, there's expenses involved with buying real estate. And a lot of the time when people have these discussions, they don't like to factor that in. Even, uh, I hate to open Pandora's box, but even all the online debates of rent versus buy, everybody advocating for buying, which I'm a homeowner, so I, I'm in there too, they don't know the cost. Um, you know, I'm in, in the middle of a project right now. I'm, I'm officiating a wedding in my backyard for my sister-in-law. And um, I'm in the middle of a project of redoing the, the grass like um, laying new sod and all that uh, and, and putting a new concrete platform in the back, it's expensive. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not cheap. Um, when you add that back into you know, the cost of everything and, and you put it over a year's time or whatever, it's significant money. Uh, I wouldn't have known that as a, as a renter. I wouldn't have thought of that. I know that because I signed the check. Yeah, and not to, mention, not to mention if you're not paying cash, the interest on a loan in compounding, especially if you make the minimum payments for 30 years, right? Um, you know, it, I don't think most people realize that you'll pay more in interest than you ever did the, 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 the value of the home. A lot of times, if you go the whole 30 years, that's a lot of cost, um, just from that one perspective. Yeah, I, I agree. First week in my home, my water heater broke. So I, uh, I was like, all right, this is what being a homeowner is like. My wife called me. She's like, only cold water is coming out of the faucets. And I was like, Oh, no, I think that's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, the whole point is we can keep costs kind of simple, right? Uh, because these brokerage firms have fought tooth and nail to get your business, it's free to trade stocks. It's not free to buy real estate. Um, now, as we transition, that no cost probably plays a factor on why the holding periods, which I didn't write a lot about this because there's not a lot to be said, but I, I think you know, those two sentences are powerful. The average person stays in a home for 13 years. The average person stays in a stock for five to eight months. That is a huge difference. Um, why is that? Uh, is it because of the liquidity of stocks or the low cost to, to transact? Or is it just the fact that it sucks to move, uh, to move from one house to another that you just stay in the house for 13 years until you've really just worn it out or outgrew it? Um, I can't answer that question, but what I can say is there's something to be thought about with different holding periods that these one of these things is not like the other. I think one thing that's key that has a lot to do with why homes are held for a lot longer, and we're not talking about primary residence, I, I, right? We're talking typically about investment properties for this conversation, but is that you don't get a valuation and appraisal of your home every month. You don't see the volatility. Um, you just get the rental income. And, you know, if the housing market's down 15 or 20%, you don't get a statement that says your million dollar house is now worth $800,000. Um, and I think that that takes a lot of the emotional disturbance out to where, you know, five to eight months, uh, I don't think any of us would, you know, recommend buying stocks and flipping it with eight, in eight months. But the reason I think most people do is because of the emotional volatility. Um, they panic because they're seeing prices and that scares them. What do you think? I think you're 100% right. I think it's odd that in the finance industry that we could spit off the standard deviation of the stock market in a moment on, on the standard deviation of the price, which would be describing the volatility. But do any of us know the standard deviation of the dividends? 
Um, I don't, but I'll tell you it's not significant. I've charted it out. Um, so the benefit of being a real estate owner, they look at the dividends, not the price. They look at the rental income, not the price of the property. Um, and that helps you to uh, not go crazy. And the fact that if you did go crazy and you're like, I just want to push that button, there's no button to push. Right. Like you have to talk to a real estate agent. I don't want to talk to a real estate agent. Like (laughs) that alone, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to hold this property. I'm good. I'm going to figure out a way to sell it to a friend. You just lost any real estate agent that was a listener of Tom. One of my close (laughs) friends. One of my close friends is a real estate agent. So he's like, wait, what the? (laughs) So holding periods matter. Um, The fact that they are so drastically different should just make you contemplate and think, why is that true? Why is one 13 years and one five to eight months? And uh, something to be said there that uh, if you do own stocks, please tell me you don't own them for five to eight months. So um, we'll save that conversation for another time. We've touched on this, so I'll, I'll tee up the conversation about taxes, but I'll just say from my point of view, and I'm, I'm okay with somebody telling me I'm wrong, uh, I, I think that the way the tax code is right now, it, it, it coddles uh, real estate owners and, and allows them a, a very accommodative tax code. And there are some benefits to be had for real estate investors. There's way to be strategic uh, in your planning around your stock portfolio, but I, I don't think it's as significant as real estate. Yeah, just think of the, the 1031 exchange. I know there's uh, on the equity side, there's exchange funds and ways you can do it, but there's a lot of restrictions. Could you imagine if you just roll in any profits to another stock? You could kind of just do that in perpetuity. So, yeah, what, that would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> there is a caveat, though, with any retirement accounts, right, on this mm-hmm. as far as the tax benefits within uh, stocks. I was right? thinking that during the holding period, is that broken down in taxable accounts only for stocks or? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, my guess is I, I Ben Carlson writes a blog uh, and that's where I grabbed the, the statistic from. My guess is it's just looking at the turnover and the volume of trading compared to the stocks that are out there and getting to some sort of holding period. But I don't disagree with you guys. You guys are talking about retirement accounts, maybe traditional IRAs or 401ks and this idea of deferral. But there's a downside to that too. Again, another podcast for another time. But you're deferring the taxes, but you're deferring them to ordinary income. True. You're not deferring them to, to long-term capital gains. With the current tax code, long-term capital gains are uh, more advantageous than, than ordinary income. So if if you really kind of break down the 401k and you charted it out and looked at the kind of things, the benefits probably aren't as strong as one might assume. Yeah. But if you compare a, and I, I don't disagree at all, but I'm, I'm more now thinking out loud, which is dangerous. So uh, you, <laughs> Sean, you, yeah, protect me. For a second. <laughs> you have the mute button. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But if you're doing a 1031 exchange, the idea is that you're taking one investment and you're putting it into a different investment, same type real estate, but with a 401k or with a um, IRA, you're doing the same thing. You you have the 1031 exchange feature. You can sell right these stocks for these stocks with zero tax consequence in between. If you sell or pull income from it, then that's that's where it gets you. And that's why I bring it up too, because if these the holding periods were in a taxable account, we'd all look at it and say, well, no, you'd want to wait till the gains are long term after 12 months. But it, it is different in retirement. I, but like you said, another podcast another day. Yeah. No, I think you're right, though. I'll speak to it for just a moment. Um, 
where I think I would go is kind of the flexibility. So you can do this turnover in a 401k or an IRA account and the IRS like just doesn't look at it, right? It, it can happen that there's no, there's no tax consequence for that transaction, right? But let's say you wanted to stop doing that and you're like, I just want to take my money out and put it elsewhere. Well, now the IRS is going to have an opinion, right? A 10% penalty if it's an early withdrawal or something like that. You stop that 1031 rollover exchange. Um, you just then are going to incur uh, the taxes at that point. The flexibility is just different. Uh, again, Understood, um, yeah. I am far from an expert in, in all the nuances of taxes, but it would be fun to break that down and look at it. I, I guess the claim that I'm making is I think the tax code is very favorable um, we're, we're talking about a 1031 exchange. We talk about depreciation. We could talk about uh, if it is a personal residence, the exemption, five hundred thousand yeah. dollar yeah. uh, tax free exemption. That's that's pretty nice. So step up in basis on death. Yeah. Well, you get that with, with stocks, stocks yeah. yeah. So so yeah. Anyway, like 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 we said, there's um, there's there's multiple strategies across both of them that can be tax friendly. But if you talk to somebody like some of my friends that that own multiple complexes and things like that. That, um, they will uh, speak very highly of this benefit of depreciating over time, lowering the basis, and um, not making a big tax bill on an annual basis for them. So who knows? But all of this, when we put it together, taxes, holding periods, cost, liquidity, leverage, um, responsibility, political risk, um, <laughs> these are showing you how these two parts are very different and why I'm saying – you can't compare Tom Brady and Joe Montana. Joe Montana never lost the Super Bowl. He's obviously the GOAT. <laughs> Sorry, I'm for the I Bay Area. I have to agree with you on that <laughs> for one. For the Bay Area, I had to say it. No, so there is no GOAT. Uh, it, you can't compare the two. And it frustrates me sometimes when uh, a real estate guy uh, is sitting at the party justifying why he would never buy stocks or a stock guy is talking about all the downsides to real estate. With any investment, you throw it on the table, you discuss the cost benefits, and what is the most important thing? You look at the traits of that investment, and does it match the objectives of your financial plan? Does that puzzle piece fit in the missing hole in your plan and create uh, some sort of holistic outcome that you want? That's what you have to look at. And when we talk about diversification, we often think risk and return. No, it's all these parts. Diversification of how taxes are going to be treated, diversification of cost, diversification of leverage, diversification of liquidity. These things absolutely matter. So understanding how all these factors go together, and then is it the Benjamin Franklin when you kind of write it down and talk about the pros and cons? There's uh, Maybe that's not the term. Is that it? I don't know. I don't know. You're I lost. I lost. Right. Uh, don't look at me. I, I was know. with you till then. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Google it, people. Uh, so yeah, that was my advice. Avoid any articles that try to claim one is better than the other. Uh, partner with your financial advisor. Go through this checklist and kind of see, hey, what's what's best fitting for me. And then also argue against yourself. If you're just like biased towards real estate, write down all the the the, the things that could go wrong. Um, and try to stretch your paradigm because I think it's very easy for us, especially investments, to be myopic. Um, and I think uh, you can be self-confirming to what you already believe, but when the storm comes, that can be really troubling. So, yeah, don't be so stubborn. I think we should do a roundtable. Go around. Final thoughts. We'll start with you, Mr. Sean Latimer. 
Final thoughts. Uh, I think Trevor summed it up well. Uh, the most important part is what is the purpose of this investment? Um, it's a long-term uh, time horizon, short-term, upcoming expenses, liquidity, costs, all those things matter. And when you look at your overall portfolio, you should own different things that do different, or you should own different things that do different things. So it, it all fits together. I had a um, old Morgan Stanley mentor, uh, you know, give me some advice about this once. And he said, what's neat about real estate is it, it's a forced vehicle of savings. So in terms of your primary residence, right? So you have no choice but to pay your mortgage. And in turn, long term, you're going to have some sort of value at that. Um, but other than that, I think we, you know, I think you capped on a really good point at the end in terms of the nuances of, of you know, making a fit of the assets to the needs. Yeah, yeah I think there's a theme, right, with Tom is that there's there's always a lot more gray than the black and white. And the, the point here is that one is not necessarily better than the other. Um, one is better for some people in some situations than the other and so forth. Um, and the key is to understand how they function, their pros and cons, um, and then also to see how it diversifies to meet the objectives of the client's goals. I think it was really well summed up, and I think those are really important factors. And I think it's key in humans, including myself, we all do the whole um, uh, you get you get you you start liking something, right? And you just jump on that, and it's like you're 100 percent in that. And I think with important things like your finances, um, your legacy, and all the other things that this uh, you know has, you you gotta you gotta get out of that, and you gotta step back, take a deep breath, and look at the whole thing. So, talk to your financial advisor. Yeah, I, I like that you ended with that because the whole time I was just thinking, like, research, read the counter argument, like look at the counter argument and try to find pieces that you do agree with. Right. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. So I I call it steel man, the argument. So you know what a straw man is, right? It's a a fallacy to where you attack an argument um, on its weakest leg. But look at the argument from the other side. If you're for real estate, right? Look at the the stock argument and then build the strongest case for it and then attack it from there. Steel man it. I think it is a good way to kind of walk around and get a, a more holistic paradigm or whatever the word would be uh, or a diverse perspective on all of your investments. And the reason this article is written because we get the question a lot. Um, and sometimes people think, hey, it's just the thing to do. I should own rental properties or, hey, um, I should buy more stocks or but we got to figure out what is the best fit for you and kind of where you are on your financial journey and what you're trying to achieve. And Ultimately, that's what a financial advisor is for. So at this point, we'll ask you to rate the podcast. Any comments are welcome. You're welcome to email me, Trevor, or Sean, or Nate, or Drew. I remember all you guys' names um, at tom at thebonsagroup.com. We'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to have a podcast dedicated to what you want to talk about or answer a question that you might have. Um, And most importantly, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future 
future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.